Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos and I'll be your host today. Today will be a solo pod. I will be discussing a lead up to the holiday season. This is uh, usually the busiest retail um, season of the year. Uh, and um, you know, in the watch industry, it's really no exception. We tend to do the most business between, say, November and kind of February. Um, so I want to do a, a bit of a recap, uh, talk about kind of where we're at in terms of some of the hype watches and where the prices are. And then also um, I want to go through a list of uh, watch brands that are on the rise in terms of uh, value, ones that are hidden gems. And then also I want to talk about some vintage watches that aren't going to cost you an arm and a leg. And then finally, we'll talk about some alternative steel sport watches, alternatives to Rolex, AP, and Patek that are all becoming increasingly unaffordable. So, uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and get started. Uh, but first, as always, we'll start with the customary wrist check. So today on the wrist, I have something that you guys haven't seen on my wrist or heard about on my wrist, and that is a, uh, a Tag Heuer CR2110. This is the Monza re-edition. It's a 38.5 millimeter uh, stainless steel time and date chronograph. Um, it's tagged Hoyer on the dial. This is from the early 2000s. I bought it without boxing papers, so it, uh, I don't quite know exactly uh, where it was when it was purchased. Um, bought it on eBay. Uh, I think I paid 2,800 bucks for the watch. Um, needs a refinishing, but I I'm not going to do that. I, I I like it with a little a few little blemishes, but um, it's a surprisingly fun and versatile watch. Um, it is a, uh, it, it has the, uh, Hoyer or the tag Hoyer caliber 17, which is also known as the 2894-2 48 hour power reserve automatic, um, comes on a black alligator strap with the, the tag Hoyer deployant though. That's not always my favorite, um, type of strap. It's a little annoying to size and cause it crimps the strap. Um, so I put it on a, uh, I think it's called an archer. Rubber strap. Is that what this is? Yeah, I think it's Archer. No, sorry. A Barton band. A Barton band green rubber strap. I always love Barton bands. I have a, a stack of these in my uh, strap collection, and it's always nice to swap things out with and whatnot. So, um, so yeah, great watch. Um, fun little pickup. You can find them, you know, even with box of papers for under four thousand bucks. So this is a great alternative. Steel Sport Watch, which we'll we'll talk about further in the show, but um, but let's go ahead and get started. Yeah, so so today I want to talk about kind of where we're at in terms of the watch market, um, what people are buying, what we're seeing from uh, an industry perspective in terms of demand, and uh, what to look out for to get ahead of the curve for things that might be popping in the future and might become kind of unaffordable. How you know at, at, at the way that Jorn uh, and Audemars Piguet and uh, Nautilus, Paddock Nautilus has become, and, and a lot of the uh, the Rolex Rolex watches, because it's not just the steel sport watches anymore from Rolex. So, all right, so let's start with kind of a check on where we stand, right? So um, a good barometer on, on the watch industry is kind of the hype watches, right? So uh, 5711s in, in blue and in white are well over 100,000. 
Looks like they're tr they're truly trading between 110 and 120. It seems like depending on the age and uh, if you're looking for these watches, uh, any of these hype watches, just know the newer the watch, the more expensive it is at this point, right? That's uh, a bit different than how things were, um, you know, just a decade ago where, you know, the watches that were most sought after were maybe like the original version of the watch or ones that were a little bit older but had full set. So nowadays, um, when when waiting lists are basically infinity time, right? So, uh, you know, it, when when it's not available to buy the watch brand new through retail and people are looking to spend the money on the watch, they're looking for the newest possible. So, you know, a 2021 um, uh, 15500 is going to cost more than, say, uh, a 2019, right? So uh, 5711s, yeah, between 110 and $120,000 trading looks looks about where the market is on those. Some of them are a little bit higher. There's plenty of people asking way higher than that, but looks like that's where they're trading currently. Um, in terms of the uh, Audemars Piguet, if you are looking to get a 41 millimeter Royal Oak and any dial besides blue, you're going to be in the mid 40s or so. Is what uh, is what these things are trading for. Um, again, it's going to be dependent on age and completeness and also condition, right? So if you have one that's beat up and you're trying to sell it on eBay or Commerce 24, you're certainly going to be getting far less than uh, a one that's brand new, say with stickers from last week, right? There's going to be a pretty decent sized swing in the value depending on how new the watch is. Um, and if you're looking for a blue dial, you're going to be well above 60. And this is uh, a watch that that retails in the $20,000 range, right? So, um, and then from Rolex, the way I like to judge Rolex is because, you know, the the Daytona is the, I guess, the, the hypiest Rolex that exists. And, you know, you're going to be looking at the high 30s for a white dial Daytona in, uh, in like new condition with full set and box papers. That's as new as possible. The swing is not going to be so tremendous. It's going to be a few thousand dollar swing, nothing like not like a five or ten thousand dollar swing that you might see with some of these other models. Um, and that's probably just because the price point, right? So even though uh, a Daytona trades at what triple the retail, um, it's still under that 40 and 50 thousand dollar range. So the swings are not as um, as serious. And there's there's probably more buyers for those than there is for any of the other models um, or from other brands because Rolex. You know, most new buyers into the watch industry come in through Rolex because it's the it's the easiest to understand. It's the one that everybody knows, even since you were a little child. You know, Rolex is a is is the the brand to to buy when you're buying a a, a Swiss watch. Um, so so we know Daytonas are going to be in the high 30s, mid 30s for black dials for ceramic pieces. Um, but the way I like to like to look at it is like what's the cheapest steel sport watch I can buy from Rolex, right? Uh, so right now it looks like it's going to be the Air King, the one one six nine hundred. That's going to be ju uh, listed just below ten thousand. So you'll probably find them for right around nine. It looks like they're trading at, um, and uh, you know it's that's that's kind of a weird piece. I've owned the watch twice. I, I just never could get it to fit on my wrist correctly. I have about a seven inch wrist. And um, it's a flat seven inch wrist. So it's flat on the top, flat on the bottom. For whatever reason, I couldn't size the watch correctly to get it balanced on my wrist to really love it. I do know guys who have a little bit more of a rounded wrist tend to tend to enjoy that watch. But maybe for that reason, I'm guessing it's not as hyped up. It's also 
um, has a polished bezel, so it's not quite as sporty. Uh, Milgauss looks like it's going to be kind of the close second to that, but those ones are going to be even into the to the mid-teens for like a, a, a brand new blue dial Milgauss. Um, you're, you're still going to be paying fourteen fifteen thousand 15000 for that watch. Um, even uh, Datejust, so the, uh, a new 41 millimeter Datejust is going to be in that, in that mid-teen range. Uh, you can find a few of the older versions. So the current version, 41 millimeter Datejust is a, uh, it's a, uh, a one, two, six, three, three, four. That's the, uh, the version with the white gold fluted bezel. So the older version is a one, one, uh, six, three, three, four. You can find a few of those without box papers under $10,000. Even with a blue dial, I found a few listed, uh, but they're a bit far, uh, few and far between it. And I assume as we get closer to the end of November, and into December, and this is even well, well before this market that we're in, that was kind of the mode is that um, towards the end of the year, as we got closer to essentially Christmas Day, prices would spike. And then um, even into January and February, because traditionally that's when um, a lot of uh, a lot of guys would get their bonuses, right? There's their uh, either sales bonus, or um, if you work in finance, you get your end of the year bonus tends to come in in the beginning of, uh, you know, Q1. So, so that's when you saw a small spike in prices for kind of the hype watches. So look out for that. We assume that's probably going to happen. Um, it's already started to happen with a few different models uh, of watches here and there. Um, but yeah, so if you're still looking for a, I guess what I would call an affordable steel sport watch from Rolex, Air King is the way to go. Um, it, you know, unless you want to go down to like a 36 millimeter uh, date just, you can still get those at, you know, fairly reasonable pricing. Everything's basically trading right around retail. Even ladies watches at this point are going to be, you know, watches that used to be discounted through retailers at 25% or maybe at maybe now 5% if, even for ladies watches. Um, so, so yeah, keep it, keep a lookout. That's kind of what we're seeing from the, from the big three Rolex AP and Paddock. Um, you're still seeing um, a lot of value in paddock uh, complicated watches. So white gold, um, rose gold, and yellow gold complicated watches tend to be trading below their retail. Even, for example, a watch that traded above its retail at one point is trading below now. It's a 5524G. The, the dual time pilot's watch, uh, that watch was when it was released was uh, a bit controversial because it was like a large sport model uh, Patek that, you know, was outside of kind of what you would expect from Patek. Even their other sport watches tend to be smaller. Um, that watch has fluctuated. It's gone above retail. Now it's back below just slightly, um, but it, it is trading below. So if you're looking for value, right, going into this holiday season, if you're a guy who buys one watch a year towards the end of the year for yourself as a president or whatnot, um, you know, you can still get some uh, some Calatrava, some uncomplicated and complicated um, precious metal models from Paddock that are going to be trading below retail. So there's some value there. Um, but so let's let's break it up like this. So let's talk about what's on the rise. So if you're looking to buy a watch and you're worried about, hey, this thing is going to be you know ten thousand dollars more expensive in six months from now. Um, you know, maybe you're not so concerned about buying something to flip, but you don't want to have to spend more down the road if you wait. 
right? That's kind of how I look at it. It's a, it's a better way to look at it than, hey, what do I buy? What, what can I buy now to flip in six months, right? But I guess it's really the same category. So um, what's on the rise? So we're seeing uh, Debathun is a brand that's, that's on the rise, um, makes very few watches per year. Um, if you ask Tim Masso, they are, they have the highest standard of engineering and finishing. Um, they are certainly becoming more expensive. I mean, I was talking to a collector, uh, talking to a collector yesterday who's been collecting Debethune for, I don't know, more than 10 years. And he, he bought, I guess he said it was a GMT that he paid 22,000 for and saw one listed, I think on our website or another for $60,000. So there, there's certainly Debethune's on the rise. And with these really small brands that make, you know, very small runs of watches, it, you're going to see it's easy for these things to pop um, in terms of uh, their resale value, right? When there's only a few hundred of these watches or a few thousand that exist, it doesn't take very many buyers to take notice for these watches to start rising in, in value. So another brand that we see that's starting to slide up and it's really model dependent, but it's longer. So some of the more special models are getting a lot of attention, special dials, Everentine dials, and um, you know the Lumen models have exploded. Uh, Odysseus is a, is, is a brand that's really, really, uh, or is a model that's really, really popular right now that we think that will continue to kind of rise. So as, as more and more collectors start really understanding Longa, their history and looking for certain models, right? Parsing through and saying, all right, they only made this watch for one year. This was the first year model year of this watch. They changed something on this movement or whatever it may be. You're going to start seeing those ones pop here and there, um, going forward. Uh, Gronefeld is also, or Grunefeld is also a, a brand that's basically has kind of exploded. We still see uh, room to grow in terms of resale value because they make so few watches per year. They're not really delivering any new watches to new customers really at all anymore. They've they essentially said, hey, we're for the foreseeable future, we are booked up with uh, pre-orders. So, you know, the only place to really buy these watches right now is going to be on the market. And there's so few that exist that we, we really see these, um, you know, uh, rising in price. And we can, we can really see the, the, with the, with how few they make the level of finishing and design that speaks to a lot of people, we can certainly see most of these models, if not all trading kind of above that hundred thousand mark. Um, what else do we see? So Moser, Moser is also a brand that's rising. They make about 1500 watches a year. So, you know, more than Gronefeld, more than DB, um, Debethune. So, you know, and and they are a bit polarizing, but the brand is fantastic. We're getting more and more collectors understanding and, and really loving the brand. The Streamliner line is one that kind of speaks to a lot of people. So that one is out the gate, has been very, very strong, is still rising. You know, they're the green Streamliner, the green Dragon or the green line or whatever you want to call it. That one already trades a bit above retail, but we do see room to move on those watches. Um what else? Vacheron is also a brand that's that's getting a lot of attention. Um, you know, they make quite a few watches per year. They are owned by Richemont. So, you know, same as Longa, but they make many more watches than Longa. But it is model dependent. People are looking for early Vacherons that, you know, there's a lot of these Vacherons that share movements with Patek or Patek shared movements with, with Vacheron. So looking for those models like early Perpetual Calendar Chronos. And, and such, those watches are starting to get some heat and they're rising in value as well as the overseas. So every generation of the overseas has seen a bump in its value. Um, and uh, it, we, we kind of believe that's going to continue a bit. 
Um, what else do I have on my list here? Daniel Roth is also a brand that I used to laugh at. I didn't really understand or like the watches, but I'm starting to both understand and like their watches. They're certainly rising value. I mean, they're, they were rock bottom just five or 10 years ago. So they have a lot of room to grow. Vintage Cartier. So um, the CPC and uh, and also just the vintage Cartiers are, are absolutely being chased and sought after, right? So people are starting to understand kind of the watchmaking that went into these watches. The brand name is very, you know, it's well-known. Everybody kind of knows Cartier almost the same way that you know Rolex. Maybe you don't know them for watchmaking, um, but they do have a rich history in watchmaking. If you, there was a, a book that I read recently, um, I think it was just called The Cartiers or something along those lines, but it was it was written by a, a current member of the Cartier family. It was a, It's an amazing book, but it explains the whole history of not only their watchmaking, but, you know, how they grew their business and whatnot. It's a, there's a great history behind it. So people are starting to really understand and love the brand a little bit more than, than they used to. So, and also in pop culture, you know, a lot of athletes and music artists are, are starting to show up wearing like the Santos and whatnot. So uh, Cartier in, in general, but vintage Cartier and co- very complicated vintage Cartier pieces are, are ones that are starting to really pop. So if you have that in the collections, you know, and you don't wear it so often, either wear it or start looking at those values. Maybe you hold it for another year or two and, and see if there's something you can trade it towards that you might want to wear more often. Um, what else do I have on my list here? Uh, Omega. Uh, weirdly enough, you know, we just saw a vintage Omega Chrono, uh, Speedmaster. I think it went for like $700,000. It was the most that that model had ever gone for at um, auction. So, you know, keep an eye out. Uh, Omega's always kind of been up and down. But as things, as people look for more iconic steel watches um, and they can't afford Rolex or they're looking for something because maybe they don't, they don't love the idea of Rolex because everyone has one or whatever, you know, whatever idea they have in their head. Um, Omega and specifically Speedmasters are, are still on the rise. Even the, um, uh, the 310s and the 311s, like just like the regular market ones are, are starting to rise in, in value too, because even though they've made so many of them, they're pretty accessible and there's a lot of people who maybe might look to buy that as their first watch right so the prices are rising you know a bit i mean my i have a 42 millimeter um uh, speedmaster professional and it's uh i paid i think two grand for it and it's probably worth about three or four so it's got it's gone up in value in the last few years um what else oh early frank mueller so when i say this i mean early frank mueller's that are, are complicated pieces are starting to pop a bit um, similar to what we're seeing from Roger Dewey. Roger Dewey more so because they made fewer watches and they were a little bit more, I don't even know how to describe it. They were more beautiful, They a little bit better finishing and whatnot. But Frank Mueller, especially the early ones, were, were some real watches. Those were real watches, right? So we're seeing people starting to chase those. All right, so those are kind of the watches that we're seeing on the, on the rise, the watch brands that we're seeing on the rise. Um, next, I want to go over the, what I would call, I guess, hidden gems or, or brands that are not really being sought after yet, but they kind of fit the bill to be sought after, right? Because they, there's a lot of brands here that mirror some of the brands that are on the rise, right? So one of them is Arnold & Son. If you don't know this brand, it's worth looking into. Small manufacturer, all handmade watches, um, tremendous engineering. They had some controversy because they made, a, I guess, a resonance watch as well. Um, and Jorn sued them, but it looks like it's a, it's a working resonance. It works a slightly different than, than Jorn's, 
but again, they have some really cool watches, very small runs, and you can find them for literally like pennies on the dollar in terms of the retail price. So uh, it makes sense that they they would be you know hidden gem. I, I can't say that they're going to explode in value, but they fit all the criteria of a lot of the brands that are now. So it's be worth picking up if you just don't want to break the bank and get a watch that's really special. And then in the future, it might go up in value. Uh, Harry Winston also. So Harry Winston, you know, again, it, it, in the same kind of vein as Cartier, they're known as a jewelry maker, but they've put a lot of time and effort and money into their watches and they make some really, really cool special watches. Um, you know, their, uh, their sport models are really cool. Um, and you know, it's worth looking at Harry Winston watches. They're, they're a little esoteric, so you might not love them, but if you like the way they look, you can buy them for again, pennies on the dollar. Uh, Louis Monet also small brand making, making some weird watches. They, uh, uh, you know, really cool, uh, models they have. They, if you look into the brand history, they tie in some of their marketing with this. So they have like some space watches. They also have some like oil field themed watches, a little bit weird, right? Hard to follow in terms of a marketing standpoint, but if you dive deep and really pay attention, it all kind of ties together. Um, really great watch making. And again, watches that you, that right now are trading so far below the retail that it's worth looking at. Again, if you're looking for something that not everyone else has something that's handmade, that, that has some really special engineering and that has possible potential of going up in value in the future. Louis Monet is a good way to look, a good place to look. Another brand, um, Oxen Jr. So it's a German brand. Uh, they make some really strange, uh, minimalist models. Um, our friend, a uh, friend of the company, um, uh, um, Mr. Schwartz from the, uh, uh, formerly of the, um, uh, Kansas city chiefs. He's a big fan of Oxen Jr. He bought a, a custom piece from them and you can do that as well. So, uh, they make some really cool perpetual calendars. They use, uh, like some really strange ways to tell the, tell the time and date that are really cool and worth looking at. That's O C H S U N D. Uh, and then Junior, and that's the Oxen Junior is a really cool brand. Resence is also a brand that I would look at. Again, small manufacturer. I think they make a few hundred watches per year. Um, so they're, it's less about finishing for them and more about engineering. They make some really cool cases. They make oil-filled and liquid-filled cases. Um, and again, another strange way to tell the time. So Oxen Junior and Resence are kind of in the same vein. Very different, though. Um, in the sense of how, what their engineering is, but, you know, resonance uses, I believe like Eta movements, and then uh, it's more about time display and, and, uh, case design, uh, really, really amazing watches. And, and that's a brand that I would say that is, it's definitely a hidden gen, but it's also a bit on the rise. We're seeing some of their models go up there as a brand. They are interested in, in their watches kind of retaining value because they do see that as, you know, a respect in the, to their brand, you know, if watches trade so far below their retail, then the question is, is it overpriced or does really just nobody want these watches? So they are concerned with these things and they're, they're looking and taking steps to, to help market their, their brand as well as control distribution. So, you know, it's, I think that's a good thing that these brands, some brands are, are looking into this um, and Resonance is one of them. Uh, another brand, Urban Jurgensen, they make some very, very beautiful watches, very small manufacturer. Um, their watches are a little bit more minimalist as well. They have uh, a really cool sport model. I think it's 1124 is, is I think the model name, but 
it's probably not, but uh, it's something like that. Uh, Urban Jurgensen, they make a model. Uh, uh, their sport model is similar to a Streamliner a bit. It's integrated steel bracelet and uh, really nice on the wrist. They make a blue, a black, and a white dial, I believe, for that model. It's worth looking into if you want an alternative steel sport watch from a small micro brand. But also, their dress watches are really, really beautiful. They make some really cool watches, great complication, great hand finishing and whatnot. Um, another brand, Parmigiani, been around for a long time. Doesn't seem like they're concerned whatsoever in the resale of their brand or their models. Uh, they just make cool watches that are a bit polarizing. I tend to like them, but a lot of people don't. Mike Manjos calls them the cheese watch. Just uh, making fun of the name, Parmigiani, um, which I guess is the name of their founder, Michelle Parmigiani. I don't, I don't think we should be making fun of his name, but it's fine. Um, and uh, But I, I really like their watches, the Tunda, and the new steel sport watch that he came out with is, is tremendous. It has a coin edge bezel, though, so which is a little bit funny, a little bit weird, but um, I like it. I'd wear it. And again, trades well below its original retail, so qualify as a hidden gem. And then uh, I guess the last brand that I have here on my list would be Laurent Ferrier. Again, it's a brand uh, from, you know, it's uh, the watchmaker owns the brand, uh, Mr. Laurent himself, Laurent Ferrier, Mr. Ferrier, Ferrier I guess. Uh, making amazing watches, hand finishing movements. Um, it's less about the case and, and the dial really, and more about the movements for his watches. Um, and the hands and the indices are really what kind of blows it up for me. Uh, these are some of the most finely finished hands and, and indices that, that really you can find on any watch. The movements are out of this world. And uh, again, only makes 150 watches per year. So it doesn't take many collectors you know, you get a thousand guys in this watch market who like this brand and all of a sudden these watches are worth more, right? And it's not hard to find uh, those guys. So, you know, at first glance, they look like a little bit like kind of boring dress watches. But when you dig into it, you see, you know, uh, Laurent, Mr. Ferrier was a race car driver at one point and you kind of see some of, or at least I feel like we see some of vintage race car uh, styling in their watches uh, in some of the fonts they use, also the hands and the in the indices and the layouts of the dial. Um, so it, again, hidden gems, you're going to find these for well below their retail price. And you really can't find a, a, a finer dress watch than a Laurent Ferrier at this point. And, and he does make a, quite a few watches in steel. So when I say dress watch, I mean, it's really more the aesthetic. I mean, they are fairly robust watches, so you can probably wear them. You can use it as daily wear if you want. I do know people who do that. Alrighty, so uh, we've covered the watches on the rise or the brands on the rise. We've also covered the hidden gems. Next, I want to talk about, and I've talked about this before, um, so vintage watches, right? So everybody knows you can buy a vintage Rolex, you can buy a vintage Paddock, and there's a lot of different brands that have vintage watches. And, you know, you, there's a lot of mistakes to be made when you buy vintage. Um, but I, there are a lot of brands that have been around for a long time, and you can find vintage pieces from these brands that are fairly cheap. And so it's an easy way to kind of get into vintage to see if you like it, right? So Hoyer would be the number one um, place to look. I, if you just type in Hoyer or vintage tag Hoyer on eBay, you're going to find thousands of results and you find some really cool watches for all well under 10000 and a lot of them under $5,000. So you can get a fairly robust vintage chrono or a time and date or a GMT for, you know, a very, very reasonable price. Um, another brand that I would say vintage uh, uh, 
a, like a cheaper lower end vintage watch would be Breitling. Breitling's been making watches for a long time. Uh, you can find some really cool vintage Breitlings for uh, you know two and three thousand dollars in a lot of cases. And to add to that, Sakura, which was a brand that kind of saved Breitling in the late seventies from bankruptcy after the quartz crisis, um, you can find some really. I mean, you can find some of those watches for two hundred bucks. I mean, I have a vintage Sakura Chrono that. You know, it's literally I paid two hundred and fifty dollars for, and the watches it's just as good as any other vintage that you can find. Uh, and there's just so many of them, and people aren't really chasing them. So you can find these watches, you can wear them, and decide, hey, is it worth for me to start investing real money into vintage watches? And that that's kind of how I would do it, anyways. So that's a great way to look, great place to look. Wackman, W A K K M A N, um, another brand that you can find. You know, very very low end in terms of the pricing, but um, you can find some really solid uh, vintage pieces, complete calendars from Wackman that, that are easily um, serviced and you can have them for a long time and use it as a family heirloom or just wear it. You know, there's there's something to a vintage watch, in my opinion, that is, is very different than buying like a new stainless steel Submariner. You know, new stainless steel Submariner feels amazing on the wrist, makes you feel great, but also a vintage watch from like the 1960s or 1970s. It's just a different feel and, you know, you're not going to see very many people out there wearing them. So if you're in kind of a bigger city, like I'm in Miami, you know, I'm not going to see another person wearing a Sakura Chrono or a Wackman complete calendar. If I'm, you know, in downtown Miami and it's, it's just a little different, a little funky. Uh, other brands to look at Seiko, of course, vintage Seiko is extremely um, accessible. You can find them from anywhere from probably 50 bucks all the way up to $5,000, depending on the model. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun there. You can have an entire collection of vintage Seikos for $5,000. So, and they're highly tradable too. So once you, once you're done with it, you just throw it right back up on eBay and you should be able to get roughly what you paid for it back out. So it's, you know, it allows you to kind of move on to, uh, move on to, you know, something different. If you, if you're not used to buying vintage and you're a little bit worried, um, a little bit worried about kind of the value or, or making a mistake you know, spending $50,000 on a watch that may only be worth 20 when it comes to Rolex because of certain mark on the dial or whatnot. So you can look at these brands and, uh, and, you know, not have to, to worry so much about breaking the bank or making a massive mistake. All right. And then the last topic I want to cover um, going into this holiday season, you know, where people are looking to spend money on, on watches or buy something nice for themselves would be, and it's a topic I've covered before and I'll cover it again. It's alternative steel sport watches, right? So when we say that, when we're talking about Swiss watches, we're talking about things that are alternative to Rolex, essentially, because those are going to be, that's going to be kind of the number one steel sport watch. And I guess you could say alternative to, to AP and Paddock as well, but realistically, we're talking about things that are, you know, you used to be able to buy a used sub for five or 6,000 bucks. Now it's $15,000. So if you still want to be in that five or $6,000 mark and you want to get something that's respectable, that's going to have a little bit of a flash factor, right? So like you're not buying something that nobody knows what the hell it is or something that's going to be junk, right? So that has a poor quality build and whatnot. You know, there's so many brands to choose from. So first, foremost, always for me, I say Panerai is the way to go, right? You can find a million different references from Panerai for say under $8,000, right? So under the list price, the list price for the sub right now is $9,150. So if we're gonna use that as a barometer, so under the list price of a sub, you can find a million different um, uh, uh, Panerai's. You can get manual wine, eight day movement, 
uh, stainless steel luminors. You can get radiometers. You can even get complicated. You can get a GMT. Uh, you can even get a chrono, 40 millimeter chrono for under um, that list price of a, uh, of a sub. Um, you can find models on bracelets as well. Uh, though those are going to wear a little bit bigger too. So I'd say be careful with some uh, bracelet model Panerai, especially at 44 millimeter, but 40 millimeter Panerai, or uh, you can get a 40 millimeter blue dial um, bracelet model Panerai for, I think it's a Pan 51 is the one I had. Uh, I traded it recently. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can find a blue dial stainless steel sport watch from Panerai on a bracelet, uh, and uh, for well under that, the list price of a, a steel sub. Um, another brand that I always talk to people and, and kind of um, offer it up as, a, as, a, as an alternative is Bell & Ross. Really cool brand. This is a French brand. They have their headquarters here in Miami, which I like as well. But they make so many cool uh, sport watches. Um, so they're known for the square um, aviator style or aviation style models. Um, so like the BR1s and the BR3s, but they also make more traditional models. So they make like their, I think their vintage, it's a, is it a BR92 or BR02, um, which is a round watch on a bracelet. Um, so they make a million different models. They only make about 4,000 watches a year. So they make on par with say Richard Mill. Richard Mill makes about 4,000 watches a year. So does Bell and Ross. So, you know, they are, they're not quite collectible in, in the sense that, you know, you're going to make money on them, but you can find them for fairly cheap. They're really great, robust watches. You can wear them every single day, and it's a great steel sport watch. They even make they make a ton of watches in ceramic too, which is nice. And again, very very low price point. You know, you can find them for well under five thousand dollars in a lot of cases. Um, automatic um, sport watches. Breitling is a mod, is a brand as well. I mean, they make a billion watches. You know, we're an authorized dealer for Breitling through Godbert Jewelers, and you know we have piles of these Breitlings here. But there's a lot of models that are really nice, very relevant. And uh, again, trading well below their retail price, but even so their retail prices tend not to be too high anymore. They've kind of scaled back on their asking prices. So you can get a, a ton of really cool steel sport watches from Breitling, which still has cachet in, in the sense of name, right? At one point they were a direct competitor to Rolex that probably are not any longer, but you know, the name still remains, you know, if you're wearing a Breitling, people tend to know. So if you're looking for something that, you know, is going to be a celebration of your success, but you're not going to break the bank and you just like the styling, don't be afraid to buy a Breitling. Um, Bermont is also another brand that I would say it's a, it's a British brand, Swiss made, um, small manufacturer. You can find a lot of these things for two and $3,000. You can find a, a watch with a lot of times an in-house movement, steel sport watch, mostly on straps, not really too many on bracelets, um, but they have merit. And again, they're small brand. They have a small community behind them too, which is nice. Uh, Grand Seiko is one that I would that I've been kind of on for the last year or so. Uh, I think a lot of people have as well. They're, they're really discovering Grand Seiko. You can have an entire collection of Grand Seikos, really beautiful watches and uh, great on the wrist. Uh, they make steel titanium. Um, they make sport watches. They make more dress watches. I have in my collection, two models. I have a, um, I have the steel GMT with the blue dial blue bezel. And I also have a, um, a snowflake the SBGA 211. And uh, both great watches, great kind of two watch collection in sense of having two Grand Seikos, but you can have a million different, they make so many different watches. Just check their website. You know, we're also, Godberg Jewelers is also an authorized dealer for, um, for Grand Seiko. So if you're interested and you want a new one, you can always give me a shout or someone else on our team. 
Um, what else? Uh, what else do I have here? Also, IWC. So IWC came out last two years with some really cool models. They scaled down the big pilot, which is something that we've been asking for for a long time. That watch is also comes on a bracelet. So that that's a great option right now if you're looking to buy yourself something cool and special for the new year. Um, that's a great model. And also they they scaled down their their pilot's chrono as well. Again, these are great watches. You're going to find them trading below their retail in a lot of cases and well below what you'd have to spend on even a brand new stainless steel Submariner. All right. I think I covered everything I wanted to cover here. So yeah, we're the state of the industry is still strong as hell. Uh, we do expect maybe in March uh, a bit of an easing on prices. We, I mean, they can't just keep going up and up and up and up. Right. You know, and I, I said that 40 years ago when I, when stainless steel 5711s were trading for 45,000, I was advising people to sell them because I couldn't imagine that they would keep going up in value while I was wrong about that. So I certainly could be wrong about this, but eventually it has to end, right? Like that's, that seems like it has, it's a fact. So uh, then things would, should essentially level out. Um, We're kind of targeting at the end of this holiday season, things kind of slowing down as, as many countries are opening up and travel is, is uh, allowed between countries, then a lot of people who were spending their travel and dining budgets on watches are going to go back to spending them on dining and travel. So there'll be a few less buyers. Um, but overall, the market has gained so many new buyers since roughly 2016, 2017, and then an explosion of new buyers into the market in 2020, people looking for alternative assets and, and becoming more educated on watches in general, thanks to, I guess, podcasts like this and Tim Masso on YouTube and a lot of other YouTube. I mean, how many new watch YouTube channels have popped up just in 2020? I mean, there's probably hundreds of more. So it's really easy to, to educate yourself now. Whereas in the past, you might've had to know a guy, right? Like if, you know, it's similar with a lot of different things that the internet has changed. You know, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and, you know, 15 years ago, how would you know if a technique worked? You know, you might have a guy who would, who would, he would learn it from another guy and he would learn it from another guy. So word of mouth was the way that you would learn new techniques with watches. It was kind of the same way. Like, how would you know the difference between a JLC and an Invicta before, you know, before YouTube or before Instagram or before a lot of these uh, platforms that allow you to educate yourself? You know, you might not know that. So you might race to Rolex because you knew that Rolex was kind of the brand, right? Still the case where people are still starting with Rolex, but they're moving from Rolex to other brands much quicker than they did in the past. It might take you 10 years to buy something other than a Rolex that once you start collecting, now it might be three years. So we're still seeing these guys filter through the market. So as they do so, um, you'll see, you know, different brands from smaller manufacturers kind of popping in terms of value because people are starting to get, you know, the, the market gets crowded in each one of these. And we don't really see an uptick in, in manufacturing. A lot of these brands don't really have any interest in, in creating, making more watches per year. Because for so long, they've kind of overproduced um, and had to discount their watches. So as that goes away, don't expect these brands to start increasing production. All right. Well, I uh, appreciate you listening. If you were about almost 40 minutes in. So if you're listening now, you're, if you're still listening, you're a champion. As always, we really appreciate you. I love you. And um, if you want to reach out to me directly, uh, at Mr. Thanos, I do my best to get back to you in a timely manner. At this point, with how busy things are, it might take me a few days, maybe up to a week to get back to you, especially if you send me a long a message with uh, some information that I really want to kind of focus on. I don't want to just reply, hey, thanks for reaching out. Like if I really want to address your 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 question, 
sometimes give me a week, right? Don't, don't feel like I'm ignoring you. I'm, I need to find time to focus on your question. Um, cause I'm getting more and more of these through my Instagram. So at M R T H A N O S at Mr. Thanos, that's my last name. Thanos uh, is a good way to reach me. Um, otherwise, you know, if you want to buy a new watch, watchbox.com has probably more, more watches in our inventory than any other seller. I mean, we have probably at any given time, four to 6,000 watch pre-owned watches. Um, that's not counting any of the new stuff that Godbirds carries. So, uh, there's probably no better place to buy a pre-owned watch though. You know, there's a lot of other sellers out there. So, you know, shop around, don't, don't be, don't be too worried to do something like that, you know, and, and I'm happy to kind of share my experience with some other sellers because I'm a collector as well. And, uh, otherwise check us out on YouTube, Watchbox Studios, Watchbox Reviews, Tim Masso, uh, Tim Masso has a podcast as well. He started releasing his new episodes. I did a, an episode with Tom, Tim Masso recently and, um, you know, thanks for listening and, uh, see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.